by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We're vicarless today as we record this. And uh, Vicar's on vacation. And we pray that he would have good R&R. We have the uh, Vicar Bader farewell tour. He's going to be preaching a lot in different locations over the next several weeks. His uh, final... Sunday at Good Shepherd is the last Sunday in July, and that's the way it is for all of our vicars. And so uh, coming here, uh, Vicar will be doing a lot of preaching here at Good Shepherd on Wednesday night uh, in uh, June and July, so uh, you'll have that opportunity as well, too. It's been a great year. We'll miss him. And at the same time, looking forward to uh, recycling vicars and uh, getting our new vicar. He'll be showing up about the middle of July as well. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. Kind of a challenging Sunday, at least yeah. for me. I'll uh, get uh, Pastor Moline's perspective. Uh, this is this is the first time you know you came last year uh, toward the end of August, and uh, so we've had an opportunity almost to get a full year of readings together. Uh, you and I looking at uh, God's Word, and this is our first time through these early Trinity Sundays. So this will be uh, this will be a fun time as we get to know each other a little bit better as well. Our introit for the first Sunday after Trinity is Psalm 13. The antiphon is, the antiphon is our verses uh, 5 and 6, and the bulk of the introit, Psalm 13, 1 to 4. So we get the whole thing here, and in that respect is a uh, great intro because it is a great psalm. Pastor, you want to share that? Yeah. O Lord, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. All right. How long? How long? How long will this sermon be? How long will I have to sit at this uh, red light before the light turns green? How long before the grocery checker gets their act together and I can move a little more quickly through the line? 
how long will I have to sit at this roundabout because people don't know how to use a roundabout in the city of Lincoln? Those are the bane of my existence. Oh, boy. Dear well, roundabouts, you are the frozen yogurt of the traffic world. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, just be glad you don't live in my neck of the woods because uh, we're going to spend uh, millions of dollars on a double-decker roundabout. The first one in the world are going to experiment real close to my house. So, um, but we'll we'll spare all the uh, political and construction comments for another day, maybe even another program. Um, how long? How long is the cry of the human being, and yet specifically, it is the cry of the Christian. As we, as we heard Psalm 13, the introit for the first Sunday after Trinity, that phrase just kept being repeated again and again and again and again. How long, how long, how long? Pastor, some thoughts on the life of a Christian versus maybe some of the popular opinions of what the life of a Christian should be. Yeah, yeah. Um... There's lots of uh, preachers out there who will tell you that God wants you, and this is just kind of a quick summary, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that if you believe in God enough... That sounds like Benjamin Franklin, too. Well, maybe, yeah. If you believe hard enough or, or well enough that that's exactly what you'll get, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and God will bless you. In fact, though, the truth is quite the opposite. Jesus promises that in this world we'll suffer, we'll face persecution and tribulation. The book of Revelation lays that out very clearly that throughout all of our lives it uh, there'll be persecution and struggle and, and challenges. And because there are these challenges, that's why we have these words from Scripture where we ask the question, how long? How long will we have to face these challenges? How long will we suffer? How long will persecution last? Uh, how long will there be wars where people get killed and blown up and destroyed? How long will uh, people die and their bodies not face uh, burial or Christian care? How long um, are all the different challenges? Uh, will we have poor people, hungry people, uh, sick people? How long? And the answer is until Christ comes back. And, and so we still suffer and we ask these questions, but we know the answer uh, as well. So my question to you, in light of everything that you said, and you speak truth, it's a true, true comment that you just made. Um, it's also another human condition, and uh, this is not excluding Christians from that. Who do we blame who do we blame for the the miserable sufferings and conditions that we find ourselves in? Uh, certainly, certainly, if we can figure out who to blame, then we can figure out how to solve the problem. <laughs> well, everything is, I mean, it's a good question to ask, who do we blame? Uh, the last statement you made, I would disagree with and say, you know, uh, just because we know uh, doesn't mean we can solve it. And the reason that uh, we can't solve the problem, even though we know who's done wrong, is because when you're the problem, it's really hard to fix the problem yourself. Um, and, and we know who the problem is. I know there's many people out there who want to point the finger at God and say, why did you put us in this bad spot, God? Uh, but God is good, 
Uh, and everything that he does is good. In fact, when he created the world we live in, he said it was very good, and it's not until Adam and Eve fall into sin that God's word is ignored uh, and that problems start to begin, problems like death and suffering and poverty and hunger, uh, weeds, uh, pain and childbirth, all that uh, came about as a result of sin. And so when we point the finger at God, we got to remember that there are four other fingers then that are pointing right back at us and that we're actually the real problem. And because we're the problem, we cannot fix it ourselves. And we need somebody outside of ourselves to fix the problem. Uh, Some people would say that if I'm the problem, maybe the world would be better off without me. How would you respond to that? Well, um, I know that people say that. And and, uh, the truth is, is that that just perpetuates the problem even more. It passes the problems that you have on to other people who suffer at your loss and feel the pain. It is never a good solution to hurt yourself or to harm yourself. Rather, the solution can be as simple as, what does God say about my problems? How does God take care of my problems? How does God solve the issues that I face? And find your hope and trust in that. Um, Taking your own life to escape your problems is the same sort of futile uh, attempt at solving problems that all the other things we do are. It doesn't actually solve the problem. It just perpetuates it. Well, if God is God, Pastor... Why doesn't he do something about the poverty, the evil, the wickedness, the suffering, the pain in this world? Why doesn't God act? Um, I'm, I'm getting impatient. Why doesn't he do something? That's a, that's a good question, and there's um, several good books uh, about this. They're, they're deep and philosophical because the question isn't an easy one to answer. Uh, perhaps you can go to CPH's website. There's one called The Problem of Suffering. It's written by a pastor who had uh, two of his children die um, and talks about these questions, and, and it's, it's difficult to come to a, a good answer. The, the quick answer is, is that God does act in the person of Jesus uh, to overcome all the challenges of this world so that we can have hope uh, day by day in this life and also hope in the world to come in our Lord who promises to always be with us and take care of us. Um, that's the quick and easy answer, I think, uh, to your question. The There's longer, more philosophical questions we could get into, but maybe this isn't the time or the place. Okay. The, uh, the What I was fishing for is that the people who are generally saying, why doesn't God do something, fail to understand or believe that God already has in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And And that is what the psalmist is referring to with regard to the steadfast love of the Lord, that chesed word, that, that pure gospel. And while we may not understand mentally i mean who knows the mind of god why why god allows things into our life why god allows things into our world but the gift of jesus is proof positive that he is real that he cares and the ultimate victory has already been won and god and i guess this is part that's part a and then the this part b of the longer answer is god works through those sufferings to tear down and destroy all of our idols so that in the end all that's left is him and so the suffering, while it may be difficult and painful for a time, it is ultimately for our good. Uh, the uh, Bach program I just most recently recorded, uh, it won't broadcast until mid-July, uh, that's actually uh, how Bach brings it to almost a close. The second-to-last um, uh, movement talks about that, that all these sufferings are actually for our good, that God works faith through them. Okay. 
All right, very good. And you know the this this suffering leading to death, and we thinking that maybe death is the answer, so we should even speed it up on our own. This is this is brought out in our psalm, the introit for the first Sunday after Trinity. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Many people fear death. God's word tells us that death is the last and greatest enemy. How are we able to stare death face to face, Pastor, with a song in our heart and without being racked with fear? Death is the last great enemy, and it is an enemy, and that's why we don't run to it or seek it out uh, or look forward to it, Um, and yet it is an enemy that has been defeated. It's kind of like um, in World War II, um, after uh, the uh, American and uh, European soldiers made it through the hedgerows and after the stalemate in Russia between Germany and Russia was over, um, the war is basically over. Uh, the the Allied forces are going to win, and yet it takes a year or more for the actual battles to all be fought and the war to be completely over and the victory won with no more people dying. And, and that's the same thing that is true for us. Christ has defeated death, and yet it still bites at our heels, and uh, even though its teeth are pulled out, it still causes pain and suffering in our lives. And so it is an enemy, uh, but through it, uh, Christ has brought us out safely on the other side. And so uh, we have to keep that in mind. And all of that is setting the stage for our gospel reading for the first Sunday after Trinity, Luke sixteen, nineteen to 31. The rich man and Lazarus. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. Each week we come together and do an overview of the readings to help you prepare for the upcoming worship service on Sunday. The Trinity Sunday is the or Trinity season is the long green season in the church. The first half of the church year, the focus is on the person and work of Jesus Christ for you. And in the second half of the church year, what sometimes is called the common part of the church year, the focus is on the person and work of Jesus Christ 
in your life. That's why it's green. As we grow in Christ, we grow in the Word of God. Our gospel reading for today is Luke 16, 19 to 31. And Pastor, I would be lying if I didn't say that this is a really, really challenging text to preach on. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a while. What are your uh, initial thoughts and comments before we hear this text? It is a challenge. Uh, there's a few things I think we always have to pay attention to in this. Um, we have to understand why person goes to heaven and why another person goes to hell. We have to look at the fact that one of these people is named and one of them is not. And why is that? And what does that teach us about him? We also have to look at even in hell as he's considering his uh, life, what the rich man, where his faith looks and what he's concerned about uh, as opposed to what's actually really important. And so those are some things that as we go through this, we'll have to talk about. I think uh, I think those are all very, very good points to keep in mind as we consider this text. The gospel reading for the first Sunday after Trinity, Luke sixteen nineteen to 31. Pastor? Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none be able to cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, we got a lot of stuff here to cover, Pastor. And uh, I imagine we need to to take a little bit of an academic question first. If, uh, if you have a study Bible of some kind, certainly the question will be asked, is this a parable or is this an historical narrative? It, uh, it certainly sounds like a parable, but there are certain aspects of this that are not parable-like. Uh, none of the other parables have a name, a personal name in there. That was one of the questions you told us to listen for before. Uh, parables are usually an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, this is a hellacious story uh, with... I don't know, a heavenly or a hellacious meaning. We uh, we need to unpack that. 
I think scholars, uh, you know, traditionally in the Lutheran Church, most people have said, yes, this is a parable. It's just an odd parable. Scholars probably come down about 80-20 saying, yeah, this is a parable, and others would fight like crazy to say, no, 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 this is really Lazarus, the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead later, um, and put great stock in that. What is your, uh, what's your evaluation of that debate, Pastor? Well, um, I've always taken it as a parable, uh, not as an actual event, but it, it is a different and unique peril, parable in that uh, this sort of thing actually really does happen all the time. People die without faith, and as a result of their lack of faith, they go to hell. And uh, hell is not a good place to be in. It's not a fun place to hang out. And uh, they are in torment there. And part of the torment is seeing those who are not in hell, who are not in the same torment that they are. And, and uh, um, you know, we could get into a discussion about whether this Lazarus is the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. I think, I think that would be missing what the main points of this particular parable are if we get um, uh, distracted by those things. Whether it's a parable or not, it is God's Word, and it is true uh, and valid and good for us to study to increase our faith and trust in Christ. Okay, I, I, uh, I think you're spot on with, that, uh, with those comments. So the lesson here for us is that if you're rich, you're going to hell, and if you're poor, you're going to heaven. So we have like a Jesus teaching the parable of uh, liberation theology, and you need to throw off the yoke of your oppressors and uh, you know rise up and rebel, and poor means blessed by God, and rich means cursed by God. Is that, uh, is that what we're supposed to get out of this, Pastor? No, not at all. There is a distinction. <laughs> but, uh, but sadly, there are many that would treat all of Scripture, maybe even starting with this parable from Luke 16, and that's their bottom line. That's, uh, you know, we can, we can laugh about it and we can joke about it, but there are actually people who believe that. Yeah, I think maybe even one of the places they uh, misinterpret Scriptures in that way even more than this is from the book of Acts where they held all things in common. They take that to be, look, Scripture supports communism when actually it's talking about a confession of faith uh, and what the results of that confession of faith are. This is not a uh, rich versus poor sort of story. It's not because the one was rich that he went to hell and the other was poor that he went to heaven. Uh, That's not the way that anybody goes to heaven or hell. It's rather a result of their faith. Those who believe that Jesus has come and died for them go to heaven. Those who do not believe it and trust in some other God, uh, whatever that be, in this case, this man trusted in his riches, his ability to buy you know, purple garments and a big house and things like that. He trusted in that rather than in his God. Um, and as a result, when he died, he went to hell. It's all about uh, do you believe that Jesus has done these things for you or do you not care about Jesus or his word? Now, I think most people would say that the body of the collective body in the majority in the Bible, especially the New Testament, teaches that we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yep. Then we get Bible passages like this here from Luke 16 that seem to imply something different. So are you bringing in some other teaching and applying it to this? Or is this text really teaching 
that the rich man went to hell because he didn't have faith, and Lazarus went to Abraham, uh, Abraham's bosom, heaven, because he did have faith. Uh, are you trying to have it both ways, or you, can you bring that out of this text? No, I, I well, first off, when you interpret Scripture, you use the clear passages to interpret the ones that maybe aren't as clear. Okay, we so... We have all the different places that say we're saved by faith. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Yep. Uh, one of the one of the basic tenets of biblical interpretation is that scripture interprets scripture. Yep. And as a as a close correlative to correlative, cor- yeah, you know, I think the, you said it right the first time. Oh, okay. As a as a close connector there we uh, go. to that one. Thank you. Um, we use the clear passages to help us with some that are less than clear. And again, Scripture is clear. The only reason it's not clear is because of my sin. And so if we have questions in Scripture, like with a seemingly difficult text like Luke 16, we use the corpus, the body of Scripture, to enlighten that which may seem clear to uh, unclear to us. So you are spot on, spot on, spot on, Charlie Brown. Well, and... So not just bring in other texts that say very clearly why we go to heaven or hell. We can see the discussion at the end of this particular gospel lesson where uh, Abraham says to this man, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have God's word, scripture, um, that teach how you are saved. And even should somebody rise from the dead like Christ has, if you don't believe that, then then you're bound for hell either way. Uh, he tries to send Abraham and uh, Lazarus to see his brothers uh, to try and bring them to the faith as well because the man in hell understands why he's there. He didn't believe in God. So if Abraham or Lazarus can preach to them, uh, maybe they'll be converted and so they won't have to come to this fire of hell. And so we see then also a breakdown of the family. This guy's parents, uh, father and things like that, probably didn't bring him to church on a regular basis, uh, probably went to soccer practice or baseball practice instead. Uh, and uh, now this has eternal consequences that it's caused. And I'm probably reading into it now with that. But, oh, uh, yeah. That's but, true. But uh, your comments uh, your comments are spot on, and uh, they they generate just a lot of questions and i'm trying to think of the the uh, question that i can get you to answer in the uh, shortest amount of time here with our time that's left if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead i thought the resurrection of jesus from the dead was the cornerstone of the faith and jesus seems to imply that it's not that big a deal what's that all about no, I don't think that's what Jesus is implying at all. Uh, this this is teaching us rather that it is the cornerstone of the faith, but that some people will reject that idea, or that even should it happen, uh, that they won't believe even though it does. And what do we see in our world? Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all them that sleep, and yet uh, we still have a majority of the people in our world that don't believe that actually happened historically, uh, who don't believe that it matters if they do believe that it happened. Um, and we see large numbers of people that deny that fact. And so it's it's rather kind of a glaring condemnation, you know, of those who do not believe in Christ and what he's actually accomplished. The historical knowledge of Christ's resurrection from the dead will save no one. 
Christ risen from the dead as full, complete payment for your sins, that is the gospel message. To believe that Jesus rose from the dead for you and for your salvation. That is the key. We're going to come back to this uh, gospel reading. Luke 16, 19 to 31. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the one. We'll be right back. KNNA. feebly struggle they in glory shine a a beautiful picture of that struggle that we have here on earth waiting for God to answer the how long prayer that we had in Psalm 13 in our introit and yet we know what awaits us the uh, joy of heaven for all the saints who from their labor rest and uh, we have Father Abraham Abraham's bosom. We have Lazarus. We have these uh, saints for us in our gospel reading. And in this third segment, we want to uh, take another look at that gospel reading. Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. Uh, Before we do that, just want to remind you of our worship schedule here at Good Shepherd. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also worship Wednesday evenings, 6.30, year-round. So please come and join us. And if you're not able to be with us in person, you can uh, listen, 95.7 KNNALP. If you're in and around Lincoln, handheld device, download the app, go to our website throughout the world, www.thecross957.org. And we got lots of other programs in our archives as well. Check those out, give us your feedback, and we're honored that you would uh, choose to spend a little time with us. The rich man and Lazarus, Pastor, you, um, you gave us some questions when we started this text. And... It says, the poor man died, verse 22, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, if you look at verse 22, there's a stark contrast right there in how the two deaths are described. And then it goes on. And in Hades... Being in torment, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, let's just take a look at those two verses, Luke 16, verses 22 and 23. What can we learn about death and eternal life, whether that be in heaven and hell, from these two verses? Well, uh, first off, we want to note that um, when somebody dies, they go someplace, right? Either to heaven or to hell. Uh, it's not. There's like, no. There's no limbo. There's no soul sleep. None of that kind of silly there's stuff. No limbo. There's no soul sleep. There's nobody that's forgotten and drifts around in this world still. You know, making noises in your attic. Oh, you mean like Patrick Swayze and Ghost? Right. Right. You can't throw clay pots with dead people or whatever. Uh, or the, or make pennies move up and si- down the door. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen the movie Ghost. Uh, well, but yeah. That, that's that. There's no such thing as ghosts, and that could open up a whole new realm of talking. But that's step number one here. When you die, you're either in heaven or hell. And the way that it's talked about is even really interesting as well, because the poor man is carried by the angels to hell. <clears throat> or, sorry, the poor man is carried by the angels to heaven, not to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we see there. Yeah, we'll we'll cut you some slack because you were. Uh, playing around with your microphone that I was uh, motioning to you is too far away from your yeah. lips. The uh, the scripture talks about angels greeting the person who's just died in faith and taking them right away to be with God their Father. And so we have an interesting thing there too. It's not a tunnel with a light at the end of it. It's not you know something like that. It's angels right there grabbing you and taking you to peace and comfort and joy, the reward. On the other hand, the rich man when he dies without faith. Um, there's no talk about that. He's just buried. The courtesies and cares and love and compassion that God shows to all people, even sinners in this world, is now at an end for him in that regard. And so he goes uh, to hell right away. Uh, he's left behind, if you will. And left behind is not uh, a good thing to be. Uh, it's not like you have a second chance or anything like that. Left behind is bad news for you. Uh, And so we see those two things right there, and we talk about uh, what hell is like. It is torment. Uh, There's places where it talks about it being the flame that will not go out, the place where it talks about where the worm does not die, being the picture of your body being consumed by worms forever and ever, Um, the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness where God is not. Uh, And that's bad news if God's the one who gives you all that you need to support your body and life, who um, has even created all things to sustain you and care for you. If he's not there, that's bad news for you. And so we have that idea of even what hell is and what that torment might be. Okay, so so you've given us you've given us this picture of of heaven and of hell. Uh, the the uh, question that uh, I have yet that uh, come from these two verses in hell in Hades in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Abra and Lazarus at his side. Is it really possible that the people in hell, in the midst of their torment, can see the joys, the celebration, the uh, banquet feast that they missed out on? 
Well, that would really be the icing on the cake of torment, wouldn't it? If you were in constant pain and suffering and you could see what you missed out on by your lack of faith. Um, that in and of itself is hell. Just thinking about it. is hell. Yes, definitely. And, and so, once again, is this a parable? Uh, is this exactly the way everything is? I don't know if we know enough that we can say hell is being able to see heaven but not being able to be there. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know enough we can say that just from this particular thing, but for this parable it makes sense uh, to help explain the rest of it. You know, we get a lot of questions. Uh, you know, what about my my uh, family that uh, died and they didn't believe? What about my ancestors that weren't Christians? Are you trying to tell me that they're all in hell? I can't. I can't imagine how heaven could be a good place to be if I'm thinking about my uh, family, my relatives, my spouse, my good friend, my ancestors that are in uh, that are in hell. And one of the one of the wildest and craziest things is that when we're in heaven, before the throne of God, the Lamb who was slain and now is reign for me, who has shed his blood for my forgiveness, um, I will recognize and I will know all my family and friends who are in heaven, but I won't miss any who are not there. And the corollary to that is the ones who are not there will miss me. Right. In hell, they will, they will realize what they missed out on, uh, that they had an opportunity that they heard the gospel, that they rejected it. They were in the faith and fell from the faith. And just that thought alone is is one of the most sickening feelings that you can possibly have. When you see someone who has fallen and drifted from the faith and they don't care, they just don't care. Just like the rich man in our parable, he just didn't care about anybody but himself. When you realize what is there, um, it drives me to my knees in in fervent prayer that someone's baptism would bear fruit, that someone would be reclaimed by the word of God and the gospel. And uh, it is it is heartbreaking to think about that. But that's not the primary message in in this text. And while what we're talking about, the reality of hell is true. Um, that is not the reason why God gives us his parable in his, in his, uh, holy and precious word. No, not at all. And, um, uh, one other question in the time that we have here in this uh, particular segment, pastor, uh, starting in verse, um, 26, Jesus is teaching us a little bit about this, um, distinction between heaven and hell you know that you can that from hell you know what's going on in heaven uh, you know how clearly and how much detail i don't know but uh in heaven you don't have any idea what's going on in hell then there is uh, verse 26 and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us what is Jesus teaching us here? He's teaching us that um, once you die, your fate is sealed in that regard. There's no, um, if you reject the one way that you can go from hell to heaven, which is 
believing in Jesus Christ during this lifetime and hearing his word gladly and rejoicing at uh, receiving his gifts in the body and blood and in the waters of baptism, that's the one way from hell into heaven. And once you are dead and out of this world, that way you've passed the exit ramp for that and there's no going back. Uh, you know, then you're on the highway to hell to quote, uh, is it ACDC or um, Matt and, Phillips? Yeah. Yeah. His favorite group. <laughs> and once you're once you're there, you're stuck. It's kind of like um, driving in Chicago. Right. Once you get on the toll road that uh, 85 million other people are parked on as well, you cannot get out. Um, and and that's the reality. If you're in hell, you will not leave uh, kind of like the uh, the old Eagles song, uh, Hotel California. You can, you can check, check in anytime you want. You can check in anytime you want. You can check in anytime you want, but you can never leave. Wah, 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 wah. No, uh, sorry. Right. Uh, sorry for that 70s flashback there. It's even a good Don Felder guitar impression. There. Yeah, this, uh, uh, this reality is there. Uh, there is no second chance. Uh, you cannot collect $200 when you pass go. Uh, there, there is no, uh, in spite of all these uh, Zionist kind of a things, there's not two different ways to get into heaven. All of these things are pipe dreams. God's word is clear. And we want to talk about a little bit more on this gospel reading. We want to talk about the clarity of Scripture. And we want to talk about what Jesus means when he talks about Moses and the prophets. Who are Moses and the prophets, and why does it matter for us today? This is Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. For all the saints who from their labors rest, uh, welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. We'll hear that uh, that great, awesome Christian hymn again when we come together for All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is usually the first Sunday in November or so, depending on how the uh, secular cal- calendar falls. And uh, it's a time when we... Remember those who have died in the faith, who have gone before us, that grand and glorious family reunion that awaits us in the sky, all on account of God's gift of Jesus, his son, for us and for our salvation. So, Pastor, uh, left with kind of a teaser here with regard to Moses and the prophets. Uh, we have Moses and the prophets quoted twice in our text, the gospel reading, Luke sixteen nineteen to 31, for Trinity Sunday the 1st. Um, 
Lazarus is begging that uh, someone send to his father's house because he has five brothers, warn them that they don't come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So, Pastor, Moses and the prophets, what is it and what difference does that make for me today? Yeah, when Abraham says Moses and the prophets there, first off, it's a really neat thing to have Abraham uh, talk about things that came after him in the scriptures. Uh, the prophets who are alive many years after Abraham had already departed this world. It's almost as if uh, maybe these messages all have the same thing in there. Um, that's a side note. Back to the main that, question. It's a side note, but it's a brilliant one. Yeah. Moses and the prophets is a shorthand way of saying uh, the Old Testament. And it, says, it doesn't sound short to me, but uh, for the Jewish mind, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. And then you have other writings uh, by the prophets, which are the, um, and I'm going to say it wrong, the Navim, is that correct? Uh, and then you have other writings, which are the Kethavim or, or something like that. The Old Testament for the Jewish mind is called the Tanakh, which is a, um, it is a Made acrostic poem from Torah, uh, prophets, and other writings. And so when Abraham says uh, Moses and the prophets, he's saying they have the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, if they don't understand Jesus and all these things that are going on, um, there's no way that they ever will. And that's a neat thing to see because we should be able to be able to come to the true faith just from reading just even the Old Testament scriptures. And if you look at the Old Testament scriptures, I did this on the Y files here not very long ago. All of it is there to point us to Jesus and to remind us of the promise of Jesus that is going to come. And so by not believing the scriptures, you are not having the true faith that trusts what Christ has done for you. And therefore, you will be in hell um, when you die. So Moses and the prophets, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures here specifically. Mm-hmm. But when we when we hear that Moses and the and the prophets, can we just simply think the Bible? You can, yes, definitely, because the truth is that um, Paul, uh, John, Mark, Luke, none of these people taught anything or recorded anything that doesn't match up with what the Old Testament Moses and the prophets teaches. Okay, so the Old Testament points forward to the person and work of Jesus, the promise of the Messiah. The New Testament points back to the fulfillment of God's promise of a Messiah, the person and work of Jesus. All of this is for you and for your forgiveness. So uh, this Moses and the prophets, the Word of God, the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible, if they don't believe in the Bible, they're not going to believe in some supernatural, mystical kind of miracle, snake handling uh, kind of silliness that we see in our world today. Um, or the, uh, the emo- you can't see, Pastor's uh, got his, waving his hands up in the air, um, the emotional high that some people put their, their trust and their confidence in either. Uh, if you're putting your trust and confidence in anything other than the Christ of the Scriptures, you're going to end up where the rich man 
ended up as as hard and as tragic as it uh, as it is to say that it is true okay so um pastor we we had a couple of other things that we left uh, unanswered when we started out this uh, segment and uh, talking about the gospel reading for trinity 1 luke 16 19 to 31 the parable of the rich man and lazarus the rich man's name was what? Right. Uh, we don't have actually a name recorded for us. There, there's a tradition in the church to call him Dives, uh, which means rich man in, uh, I believe, is it Latin? Um, and uh, so that some have just assigned him that name, Dives, which means rich man. But the truth is, in the Greek scriptures, there's not a name for him. We have a name for Lazarus, uh, but we do not have a name for the rich man. And that points us, Christians, we see that, reminds us of baptism. As a part of the baptism rite, uh, throughout all the history of the church, even from the very early days, is to get a name. Uh, this is a big deal back in the early church because your name uh, might have been... Um, you know, uh, Augustus, or your name might have been Alexander, or your name might have been some other pagan name, uh, maybe Apollo, uh, you know, worshiper of Apollo, that was your name. And so when you became a Christian, you gave up that pagan name and were given a Christian name, like uh, Timothy or uh, Adam or, or something else like that, a name that actually had a biblical meaning that reflected what your faith really truly was. And so we still have that today. When we baptize a baby, we say, how should this child be named? And the parents tell us the name of the child. Uh, in the church I served in North Dakota, there's even a story uh, where uh, parents brought forward their baby, and they were asked what the baby's name was, and they said, and the pastor didn't like that name because it wasn't Christian, so the pastor baptized him with a different name that was actually a real Christian name. And so when we have this name of Lazarus, we have this idea that he must have really believed in God. He has a name uh, recorded, uh, written in the book of life, a name that uh, declares who he will be in heaven, and the rich man does not. Okay, well said. And uh, the the uh, other thing that we left unsaid a little bit, and I want to come back to it, um, the evidence from this particular parable from this particular text that Lazarus went to hell went to heaven or Lazarus went to have the rich man went to hell gosh now you got me doing <laughs> it's, it. it's hard didn't it? um, that the rich man went to hell because he had no faith and the and Lazarus went to heaven because he had faith, and that the wealth and the poverty are just kind of like sidelines here. They are not intrinsic to what is going on. Let me just share a couple of words here. Again, this is from Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. He was uh, rich and well-fed. Very rich. The purple clothes there, um, those are made out of uh, little snails, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of snails had to be killed to make a, a few inches of purple cloth, and so it was very expensive to buy purple cloth. Uh, fine linen, uh, as opposed to just regular linen, also indicates that uh, uh, it is a very rich man. Fine linen takes a high thread count, and so just like you can buy sheets for your bed that are $20 at Walmart, or you can buy $1,000 sheets uh, someplace else, you, know, you see all these ads online about these sorts of places. Um, 
That's the difference in quality, thread count, things like that. And this man has the fine linen. All right. And then a poor man named Lazarus uh, at his gate covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, crumbs. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we got, we got a contrast between the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor. The richest of the rich is not going to get into heaven because he is rich. The poorest of the poor is not going to get into uh, heaven because he is poor. The, uh, this is just making a stark contrast here. In hell, verse 24, the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, that is one of the most bold, presumptuous statements in all of Scripture. Why? It's more than just a statement. It's a confession of faith. His confession of faith is that other people are there to serve him. Uh, And as we know from our divine service and our liturgy, a part of the Christian faith, when we receive the gifts, uh, allows us to have faith towards God and love and service towards our neighbor. We say that prayer after um, communion every week. Um, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. This man doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about his neighbor. He cares about himself. Um, The very definition of sin is being um, turned inward upon oneself and loving oneself more than neighbor and more than God. And that's the whole summary of the Ten Commandments. First three commandments, uh, love towards God. Last seven commandments, love towards neighbor. This man loves himself. Isn't it amazing that even in the fires of hell, in the eternal torment of hell, where the man is literally uh, dying of thirst, but he can't die, Uh, his thirst never gets quenched, and all he can think about is, who can I find out there to wait on me? Who can I find out there to serve me? And, well, Lazarus meant nothing in life, so he must mean nothing in death as well. The height of arrogance, of pride, and really the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Thanks be to God that Moses and the prophets have revealed to us the true servant, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who has served us with his life, death, and resurrection, who has won for us the forgiveness of sins, and a guaranteed spot in heaven by grace through faith in him. All who cling to Jesus in faith will also be carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That uh, that great hymn, and we couldn't find it or we'd be playing it right now as our bumper music, that great hymn, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart, verse 3 I'll do my best to have it sung in the divine service on Sunday. Come and hear it. Pastor. Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom. Bear me home that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken me that these my eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, 
my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. This is uh, Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, thanks for tuning in. Sunday's coming, so my encouragement to you is get up, reach paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. See you next week.